Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. We shouldn't, as Democrats, be empowering the Republicans. President Trump was sent here to smash conventional norms. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Busy day, busy day. This as fallout from the oil saga. We're going to bring you the latest on that with my exclusive interview with Senator Kevin Kramer. Republican from North Dakota, plus President Trump may exempt health food workers from the immigration ban. Lots to get through. Two things tonight on my radar happening this hour. The Senate, as we speak, voting on the Paycheck Protection Program. The Senate holding a vote on Paycheck Protection Program on Capitol Hill. We'll bring you that vote tally as we get it and as that news breaks. Remember, folks, this was an intensely polarized debate that has gone on and carried over for the past week as the Small Business Administration has run out of the PPP funds that they need. Meanwhile, also tonight, we are awaiting President Trump's daily coronavirus task force briefing. That's set to begin uh, within this hour. Uh, and as the president uh, addresses the country, we will go to him. You can listen to that right here live on Bloomberg 99.1. However, new developments as well as policymakers all around the country, not just at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, not just in the Senate, but all around the country. They're trying to figure out how do we reopen this economy we now have a first-time guest on the program. I'm so incredibly grateful that he made time for us. His name is John Last. He is the founder and president of the Sports and Leisure Research Group. No, we're not going to talk about Tom Brady cheating and trying to work out in Florida. Once a cheater, always a cheater. We are going to talk about a new study that they put out. John, what did you find out to us about the economic impact of this saga uh, that's been going on as it relates to 9-11? Well, we found out that, at least from a consumer sentiment standpoint, we are looking at an outlook that is unprecedented for this century. Uh, we, we kind of, we back in 2001, literally two weeks after the tragic events of 9-11, we asked a series of questions similar to the ones that we're asking now about people's willingness to travel, about people's willingness to spend on luxuries, and at least in the first initial waves, uh, that data showed numbers that were significantly below what we saw in 2001. And then again, we, we asked similar questions in the height of the, the last recession in 2008, 2009, and, and these numbers are dwarfed uh, by those as well. So as it relates to that, when you juxtapose it with 9-11, I mean, it is remarkable. And if you're just joining us, John, they did they tracked research after 9-11, and they're comparing that that data uh, to what is going on now. And they're calling it the back-to-normal barometer. And my understanding is that you're going to be releasing this periodically throughout the recovery. What's the main driver of getting consumers confident again to reopen the economy? Well, we, we're going to actually – we're actually in the field with it constantly. We're, we're doing it right now. And, and obviously, we're trying to address 
the three big questions that everybody's asking. When are things going to be back to normal? How do we restore confidence so clients return? What will the new normal look like? And, and we're finding, obviously, there's a number of specific assurances that people are requiring to, to really feel comfortable and engaging in activities like going to sporting events, going to movies, going to restaurants, getting on airplanes. And obviously, with, with such a fluid situation, it's going to be really compelling to see how this moves uh, as we go through the crisis and, and, and now, particularly as some states are beginning to relax to some of the uh, stay-at-home orders. See, it's, it's, we, we, you know, I joke about sports a lot on this program and, and how much I, I genuinely miss them, but the economic impact of it, I mean, everything from a hoagie shop that relies on a strong showing of a sports team and the supply chain and the trickle-down effect, but also the bars and the restaurants and even just to some extent even retail, but that's just one example if you break that down even more so, if certain states are able to, to, to utilize certain things, but Washington, D.C. is not, then it becomes a patchwork issue of, and an ebb and a flow. So how do you maintain growth when certain states are ahead of, for lack of a better term, reopening parts of their economy? It's going to be really challenging, Kevin. I mean, that's, it's funny. We were actually on, the call, on a call today earlier with, with one of the, the major sports leagues, and particularly because so many decisions, at least right now, are, are happening on a local level, that creates all kinds of logistical nightmares beyond, you know, the, the initial logistical nightmares of pivoting from so many different components, as you alluded to, that, that go into putting on sporting events or, you know, creating these types of experiences for fans. Um, you know, there's an interesting juxtaposition beyond, you know, where I opened up with in terms of the, the, the comparative attitudes relative to 9-11. We found also that about a third, from a third to 40% of the people we talked to actually are ready to go back now without any assurances whatsoever. It's going to be very interesting to see, as, as more of this happens, whether we see that groundswell continue to build. I mean, we've certainly seen evidence of that in certain pockets over the last several days. So what, what's your message, or what do you think the message to lawmakers should be as they're grappling with the next round of economic stimulus what what do do they need to do anything to incentivize people or are Americans just, you know, like bulls and behind the gate ready to bust out of their cages? I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I think in some respects there's bulls ready to, to bust out of the gate. But there's I'm one of the bulls. A, a Let me tell you something, John. I'm full disclosure. Put me in. I was I was I think uh, I was at the last sporting event that, uh, that actually went to completion at the I was at the uh, Pac-12 championship out in Vegas when everything got shut down. So I think, uh, you know, I was one of those last uh, crazy people to actually be at a sporting event. But, you know, not to make light of it, there's still quite a few people that basically, you know, roughly a third to, to 35 percent. And again, it varies by activity and by sport, um, but roughly a third to 35 percent aren't comfortable going back right now until there's a vaccine or, or a proven ethical treatment. Um, again, that's all fluid, and that's something we're going to continue to look at, but it's that dichotomous effort that, that, that really seems to be emerging amongst fans. So to your initial question, I mean, sports could be in for a tough road back, uh, at least when it comes to having spectators uh, in, in attendance, and, and obviously that's a huge revenue drive. So and for the sports officials who are, are dealing with this, I mean, they really do set the – the stage culturally, and, and, and a lot of folks take their cultural cues, whether or not they know it, from the from the sporting league. So do you think it'd be worthwhile in the minute or so that we have left, do you think it would be worthwhile 
to have games without fans in the stands because that might be because everything that they're talking about from Washington's perspective is it's going to be a gradual reopening. Does gradual mean mm-hmm. they can play the games but no fans in the stands? I think that's what we're definitely going to see first. I mean, we're already seeing it. Horse racing's actually still running races without fans in the stands. The PGA Tour announced I didn't that they're planning to come back in mid-June. Yeah, it's actually been my one sports fix. I've been watching horse racing all <laughs> weekend. God, God, God help me. Um, but the PGA Tour is, is planning to come back in mid-June uh, with an event, uh, the Charles Schwab event in, in, in Fort Worth, Texas, uh, and that will be without fans. They've announced they'll be without fans for four weeks. So I think that's clearly the best early opportunity to bring back sports, but we also need to see more of those revenues come in from attendance, college sports in particular. If, if they can't have fans in the stands for football this fall, it's going to be a very difficult situation you know, uh, for a lot of these universities. I want to thank you for coming on. You're going to come back on when you guys release the update. My heart goes out to all the kids, all the youth sport athletes who are really getting a raw deal right now, and that worries me. That worries me a lot. John Last, everybody, thanks. First time on the program. He'll be back. Coming up next, more policy and politics. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. This is Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. There's a song I haven't heard in a while. And yes, I do get to pick the playlist that we play in the breaks. In the name of love, you too. One of the all-time greats, folks. Probably one of the all-time greatest, greatest fans. Speaking of good music, did anybody see the concert over the weekend? Lady Gaga. Gaga. Performing with, uh, who was it? Celine, John Legend. But Keith Urban stole the show. Keith Urban's performance, A Higher Love. I have been bopping along to that ever since it happened. Keith Urban, one of the all-time legends in country music. Anyway, breaking news headlines crossing the Bloomberg terminal now. The Senate has, I repeat, the Senate has passed a $484 billion relief package that includes additional aid for small business relief loan program that has run out of money, the PPP program as well as funding for hospitals and virus testing. The measure now goes to the House for a vote. That is planned on Thursday, as we've been talking about all week. Um, And the $349 billion small business loan program used up all of its funding in two weeks. Two weeks! And remember this, this is the whole debacle as big businesses were taking advantage of Main Street. Do you believe that? What kind of sick person would decide to do that? Jay Timmons is on the line. He is one of the insiders of Washington, president and CEO of the National Association of Manufacturers. I've been dying to get Jay back on the show because they have just been all over this. The National Association of Manufacturers, one of the driving economic, how do I say this? One of the driving economic architects in this town. And they've released an American Renewal Action Plan. We're not going to get out of this. We're not going to get out of this. COVID, fallout, depression, recession, whatever you want to call it, unless manufacturing's back. Jay, tell us about your plan. Tell us yeah, about sorry. Hey, tell I'm us. here. I heard you. Oh, I you're... heard you, and I said to you that I'd really rather just talk about you 2 and maybe REM and a few <laughs> others. But if we, if we have to talk about policy, we can go there for you're sure. You're going to get me in trouble, Jay, because that's the show I want to do. Go ahead. Tell me about your plan. <laughs> I sure will. So uh, we did just release our uh, plan for American renewal, and you're exactly right. You know, there are many things we're going to have to do. Our plan focuses on three components. First is 
uh, response. That's the, that's the phase we're in right now. We're responding to this crisis, and manufacturers are stepping up like never before. And if you think about uh, those essential workers in the economy, obviously healthcare workers and hospital workers, medical professionals all come to mind immediately, and rightly so. You've got firemen, you've got policemen, you've got ambulance drivers, you've got, you've got grocery clerks, you've got pharmacists. All those people are making sure that we can continue to live safe, healthy, and be well-fed. But you know what is behind all of that on the front lines is manufacturers. They're out there producing those personal protective equipment uh, items like masks and gowns and, and gloves, and they're manufacturing the the uh, cleaners and the sanitizers, and they're responsible for the food supply. So that's what we're in the middle of right now is response. And we know that in addition to healthcare, manufacturers have to have that PPE as well. And the rest of the economy is going to need that as we go into the recovery phase. As we get into recovery and we start to open state by state, every sector of the economy is those experts make the Jay, are you there? We're going to have to have trade and tax policies that are going to allow us to grow our economy. Jay Timmons is on the line. He is the uh, the go-to guy for the president and CEO of the National Association of Manufacturers. Jay, dive into the weeds for our audience because lawmakers just passed uh, in the Senate uh, the uh, small business uh, uh, funding to replenish the yep. program. But as as they start to grapple and debate the next economic stimulus, what specifically are manufacturers looking to see in that? Get into the weeds for me. Well, I will tell you that part of the weeds that we're seeing right now is what the Senate just uh, passed and what we're hoping the House passes. And that does replenish that loan fund, especially for small uh, and medium-sized businesses and manufacturers. I, I have to tell you, Kevin, I don't think it's going to be enough. And we worry that within just the next few days, that loan fund is once again going to be out of out of out of money. So we think that there's going to be another need for to replenish that fund. I will tell you the other thing that we're going to need to get, as we get into recovery, employers are going to need liability protections because look, it's just it's just a matter, it's just reality. There are jackpot justice trial lawyers just waiting to sue somebody to to try to prove a point, and they're going to try to make employers be the ones holding the bag. And I can tell you, as far as manufacturers go, they're doing everything they can to keep their employees safe and healthy and COVID-free. So we need that liability protection. And then we're going to need to see some work on trade and tax policy as we move forward. So this is fascinating to me in terms of how manufacturers uh, are really going to be. And you go to the they're going to be the foundation for recovery in many ways, especially in battleground states like Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin. These are manufacturing hubs. And I, I guess from your perspective, Jay, to kind of shift gears overseas, so to speak, China has a lot of questions to answer throughout all of this. From a manufacturing perspective, a U.S. manufacturing perspective, does this create an opportunity for job creation domestically uh, to maybe to maybe make some more of the supply chains U.S. centric, uh, especially as as maybe folks are uh, business leaders and multinationals are are reevaluating their reliance upon uh, China. Well, look, I represent manufacturers in America, and I wish we could make everything here and export it all over the world. Frankly, that's not particularly practical. We live in a global economy, so if we're not if 
if we're not also manufacturing at different places around the world, other manufacturers that are not U.S. based will take, you know, that will take our market share away from us. But are there things that can can grow here in the United States, maybe move some parts of the supply chain back to the United States? Absolutely. But we're going to need incentives to do that. I will tell you that tax policy and regulatory policy over the last three years uh, really resulted in a lot of manufacturers investing their next dollar here in the United States, hiring their next worker here in the United States, raising wages and benefits here in the United States. We want to get back to that. But we also know that if somebody's going to pick up a $2 billion plant and move it across the ocean, they're going to need some incentives to be able to do that. And that's what that's what our plan is going to call for for the renewal phase Jay Timmons, uh, of this uh, comeback. Jay Timmons, always appreciate the time. I always learn something when I talk to Jay. He always he makes me think about something I wasn't thinking of. He is the uh, president of the National Association of Manufacturers. They just released their plan, and it's a plan that gets policymakers thinking and talking because they've got a seat at the table. NAM has a seat at the table. More next. This is Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Here's what's driving the agenda. The Senate passed that replenishment for the Small Business Administration. The House likely going to pass that on Thursday. So they finally got that done, folks. Now all attention can turn to the fourth round of economic stimulus spending. We're also on standby, official standby, for President Trump's daily coronavirus task force briefing. You can listen to that in its entirety right here on Bloomberg 99.1. Here's my story of the day. Did you see this on TheHill.com? TheHill.com. Netflix sets quarterly record, gaining nearly 16 million subscribers amid the corona virus. Netflix sets a record. Everybody's streaming Netflix, not Kev. I watch Tiger King, but that's about it. Joining us on the line, I guarantee you he watched Tiger King. Doug High, everybody. Doug High, good friend of the program, senior vice president of media at Craft Media and uh, Digital, Craft Media and Digital, and former deputy chief of staff to former House Majority Leader Eric Canner. Doug, how are you? I'm great, and I, I hate to start with a disappointment to you, but I have not seen Tiger King and Doug. frankly, don't have any plans on ever doing so. Doug, 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 Doug. You come on no this way. program and you don't even watch Tiger King. What are we going to do, Doug? <laughs> what are you watching if you're not watching Tiger King? Well, so I've been watching um, the new season of Killing Eve. Um, I've, I've been never doing, heard of this. Um, I've never heard of this. Uh, Sandra O. Oh, it's um, uh, espionage, intelligence, and assassins huh. in mostly in Europe. Oh wow! Real, um, real a, light. Sounds real, sounds real breezy. Exactly. You know? <laughs> I've also been reading books, by the way. I've been that, reading. I that's all I do. Is read. Productive. Let me tell you something. I've been reading. I've been writing a lot. Full disclosure. I've been writing a lot, but I've been reading even more. Uh, Doug, 
What are they going to talk about for economic stimulus uh, round four? I don't think we know yet. Um, and that's because we're going to have to see how round three uh, gets implemented and how it's received. You know, one of the real problems with um, what we've seen so far is a lot of concern that some small businesses did well or chains, Shake Shack being a, a prominent example, while places that might have been next door to a Shake Shack didn't get any help. And so, you know, and I, that's a fascinating argument that, that people can have about, you know, which is more valuable or less valuable. I would say the, the worker at Shake Shack is as valuable or not any more or less valuable than the person at the restaurant or the hairdresser next door. Um, but how does that get implemented? And then, you know, we still need to have the longer conversation of how do we get out of this, not just economically, but get to where we can start having some normalcy back in, in our economy. And I was actually struck, Kevin, um, during the break as, as, as you know, they were going through news items. You know, one of the things they talked about, and I see this every day uh, on my Twitter feed, it's one of the other things I'm reading is Twitter all day. Turn off Twitter. The real, <laughs> the real struggle that, that parents are having, one, because they have to figure out their child care, and they're not, going, they're not going back to their job until they have a, a place to put their kids. Um, so that's a very real um, problem for them. And then, which, which the news break talked about, is you know, how families and, and how students, and this is every K-12 through student out there, is now doing um, you know, learning from home. They're, they're learning online. And so this is very new to families, and, and so they're trying to figure out how they can do that. The government's going to have to step in um, on some level, whether that's federal or local, probably talk to companies like 2U that specialize in online education. But those are just two things that we were, we were not talking about six weeks ago and now are really important steps to how we can start to open up this economy that doesn't even touch on liability reform and employer liability so that people can feel safe to going back in their workplaces or that companies can feel safe in opening them up without being sued by following government mandates. So, so it's a lot. I mean, one of the things that I've been really following, and you, you alluded to this, and I'm, I'm glad, just about how all the different states are having to do various different openings and structures. But Maryland, a Republican governor, Governor Larry Hogan, the governor of Maryland, has been in this back and forth with President Trump. It's been subtle, but it's but it's it's existed. Why is why was the president engaging engaging in this uh, with President Trump? And just to catch everyone up to speed. Uh, Governor Hogan tweeted last night, at, like shortly after 9 p.m. Eastern, quote, I'm grateful to President Trump for sending us a list of federal labs and generously offering Maryland use of them for COVID-19 testing. Accessing these federal labs will be critical for utilizing 500,000 tests we have acquired from South Korea. But it's been I don't want to say it's been tense, but there's definitely been some back and forth between President Trump and Governor Hogan. Why? Well, I. I think mostly it's been one-sided, where you, you've seen criticism coming from the president, not as much Larry Hogan. I, I think there's um, potentially been there have been a lot of good governors out there, but um, up close watching Larry Hogan, he has done a magnificent job, not just in handling this crisis, but in handling the communications of it. We see him on TV uh, quite often here in Washington, not just on the um, uh, national channels that people see, but also on, on local news. And he's very calm. He's consistent. He's clear with what he says. Um, so he's projecting a very important message um, to, to his voters, but also in the region, because if you live in Washington, D.C., like you and I do, Maryland is two miles away from me and Virginia is two miles in the other direction. 
I've um, been I've been impressed for how uh, Mayor Bowser and Governor Hogan, two different parties, two very different types of, of, of political ideologies, but how they've been working together, and to some extent with Governor North Governor Northam as well. But this but this issue of Larry Hogan and President Trump. Governor Hogan was on the View today, and he criticized or he called President Trump's halting immigration quote a distraction from what's really going on. We have some terrific people from all around the world that are working in our hospitals and our healthcare system that are saving people's lives. This is what Governor Hogan said on The View. I mean, he's a Republican. He's going on The View into the Republican lion's den, so to speak. And he's and he's talking, he's criticizing President Trump's immigration plan. What, what's, the, what's the political calculation here? That, he didn't have to weigh in on immigration. Why is he doing it? Well, I, I, one, he's, he's an independent-minded um, governor. He's, you know, he certainly isn't beholden to everything that the Trump administration has, has said or done. Uh, Maryland's a different state than a lot of the states that um, you know, President Trump carried very easily, and he didn't carry Maryland. In fact, he lost it you know, rather badly. Having worked in Maryland, I can tell you it's very, very tough for Republicans uh, to, to win in that state. Um, but but if you look at what he said, he said it was a distraction. You know, he didn't go and just lambaste it and, and really go after the president. So it's a distraction from what's really going on out there. OK, so let's move to the next next topic again. You know, it's where he's been a, a calm and reassuring voice uh, that, that has really benefited not just him and his standing in Maryland, but also really helped his voters uh, and, and residents of Maryland. It's just fascinating because all of this started yesterday at the Daily Coronavirus Task Force briefing, and my ears perked up. I said this to Ed Baxter on, on Bloomberg Radio, who's on later on, uh, one of our colleagues here, later on in the evening. I mean, my ears perked up, and, and I almost had to, I, I had to like rewind the tape almost because President Trump said yesterday the governor from Maryland didn't really understand the list, and he said this unprompted. He didn't understand too much, the president said, about what was going on. So now I think he'll be able to do that. And he was referring to the list of, uh, of labs in states, but it was so nuanced and it felt almost off the cuff. And then Governor Hogan said on MSNBC, again, said on MSNBC, uh, that he had a great conversation with President Trump and he had, quote, no idea why the president would make the remarks that he did. It just it's it, it just feels a little peculiar. Well, Yes, I, I would say for, for Governor Hogan, it's very, it's very smart to not take the bait. If, if he takes the president's But I have to interrupt you. Really Let me interrupt you, because him. he's taking the bait. He's going on The View. He's going on MSNBC. Why is he doing no. that? <laughs> no, he, he's, going, he's going where his voters are. And, you know, so often, and, you know, I've dealt with this a lot in, you know, in, in politics, we think Rachel Maddow left, Sean Hannity right, and that's it. And, and the reality is, having gone on both of those shows, you know, I didn't necessarily care so much about you know, Rachel or Sean, both of whom I know and, and are, are nice and, and uh, generous, have been generous people to me, I care about their audience. And so if you're going yeah. on MSNBC, you know, that is a state that Republicans never win. Larry Hogan's an aberration in that regard. Um, hadn't had a Republican win in governor, uh, the governorship in Maryland since 2002. Um, so he has to go to where Democrats are because Maryland's a Democratic state. He's going other places as well, but he, he wants to make sure that his voters see them. If he only says, I'm a Republican, therefore I can only go on Fox News. He's not going to reach his voters. No, you know, I totally, that's a great point. I learned something new when I listened to Doug High. Doug's a Republican insider. Uh, and, and I also think Governor Hogan's really making a play for that independent lane that feels like it's open, that, 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 you know, that gubernatorial lane 
Uh, Mitt Romney tried to get it. Jeff Flake tried to get it, but but it's it's there for the taking, and it feels like Governor Hogan almost is is really jockeying for that. It's been fascinating, quite frankly, to watch the ascent, politically speaking, of the Maryland governor from a, to a national level. Only a handful of governors have been able to do that. Cuomo, Newsom, uh, and and. Uh, and Hogan, if you're just joining us, we've gotten the two-minute warning from President Trump's daily coronavirus task force briefing. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. You, we are going to throw that live once the president gets behind the podium, uh, and you can listen to it live right here on Bloomberg 99.1. Maybe, maybe he'll have more to say about the governor, for all we know. We'll find out. But let me ask you quickly, Doug, in the time that we have left, and if I do interrupt you, I promise it's because I'm going to toss to the press conference. Um, but this issue of what's been going on in the oil markets, I spoke with Senator Kevin Kramer, a Republican from North Dakota, earlier today, and um, it's it's really been fascinating to see what's going on, not just domestically with the COVID-19 fallout, but internationally with the Saudis, with Russia. Senator Kramer was very critical of, of Saudi Arabia in particular. And the Trump administration, reading from the Bloomberg Terminal, vowed to stem job losses and rescue the oil industry with stimulus funds and other measures as the United States responds to a global glut in crude that's led to a historic rout in prices. Dan Brulletti uh, told my colleague David Weston that they're taking very aggressive but appropriate steps to help the industry. The administration was working to ensure that oil and gas companies can access lending programs by creating the $2 trillion coronavirus rescue plan. So another bailout, and, and, and this, this feels like it hits all of America and has international reverberations as well, Doug. Yeah, there's a real dichotomy in how people view oil prices. Typically, when oil prices drop in, in the public, they see lower gas prices, and therefore everything's good. What we've seen, though, obviously in the past, you know, in the past few weeks, is you know a low gas price may help as you're filling up your tank. Although nobody's filling up their tank right now, which is part of you know the problem that we're having here. But that also reflects very, very much on jobs. And so it's easy to demonize oil companies. It's a lot harder when you talk about the people who work at your local gas station. And those are people who are really on the front lines who get affected by this. Fascinating. Fascinating. And so the appetite in Congress, I think, is there. Would you agree with uh, with that, that, that lawmakers are, are likely going to have to do what they can to, uh, Absolutely. to get this done? They've already, Alex, they've already appropriated more money than the discretionary spending of the last two, the last two fiscal years. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.